Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Tennessee and the number one spot. Right behind them, Ohio State. At number three, Georgia, last year's defending national champion. And number four, the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney's got his team back into the CFP rankings. Kyle, are you shocked by this result? I didn't think they'd actually go through with putting Tennessee number one, but now that they did it, I, I think it's kind of spicy. I think it's spicy that they threw Tennessee at the top there. I, I didn't think they'd actually go through with it. I thought they'd still give it to Ohio State even after last week. I, I mean, you, you look at their resume, you start looking at the resume, resume that Tennessee is stacking up, and I find it very hard to really poke holes in giving them the number one ranking because they literally just blew out Kentucky, another ranked team. Incredible mm-hmm. performance. They just absolutely decimated them at every step of the way. And then you go back to the game against Alabama, and it was a barn burner, but they managed to get the win against Alabama, a team that we traditionally have at the top of these rankings each and every season. And Tennessee, at least for this season, seems to surpass them. And we're, we're, we're looking to a big game, obviously, this weekend. We'll see one versus three. And that could change up the rankings a little bit. Mostly, I I think whoever wins that game will be number one next week, I think is the big takeaway for me. I think my big surprise, though, is four. Clemson. Why are they ahead of Michigan? I don't understand that one, really, because Michigan, if we're comparing resumes and we agree that Tennessee is number one based off resume, Michigan has a way better resume to me than Clemson. Clemson does technically have more ranked victories, but I look at the victories that Michigan has and they they just feel bigger to me like they beat the brakes off their in-state rival this week in Michigan State Uh, they had the big victory against Penn State a couple weeks ago where they blew the doors off them their offense seems a little bit better their defense is really good and I still have my questions about DJ Uolongo that I, I don't think really justify Clemson being at number four to me I think Clemson's had a nice bounce back story but I don't think that they deserve the four spot in the ranking over Michigan. So quickly to your point about Tennessee, I think the argument for Tennessee not being number one is that they're nine point underdogs against Georgia this weekend. So like, even if the resume says that they could be worth number one by beating Bama, (laughs) like Georgia's probably a better team. I think that's a mistake. We'll get into that one on the preview. Again, based off resume, Tennessee deserves to be number one. Yes. And and to the Clemson, Michigan point, those teams being four and five kind of makes me not feel like bad about the situation i kind of stopped like really breaking down the rankings a few years ago when i kind of realized like oh they're we kind of know who the best teams are even if the rankings say one thing but i think it would have been weird if like clemson and michigan weren't four and five like if one was three or one was six or seven i think that would have been weird but the fact they're four and five is at least pretty accurate i tend to lean with you that michigan's a slightly better team than clemson I guess the same thing you could point to Clemson has three ranked wins this season and Michigan has one against Penn state. And, you know, that's kind of a byproduct of the fact that NC state and Syracuse are ranked for now, but might not be ranked in the near future. But uh, we also saw Clemson go to double overtime against wake. And I think that's a situation where it's like, if Clemson had lost, they wouldn't be in the college football playoff conversation. They would be in the same group as like USC and Oregon and LSU down there at eight, nine and 10. So I, I think I'm kind of with you on Michigan being a better team, but I'm not really like freaked out that Clemson's four and Michigan's five. 
I feel like it's a little projecting ahead. I feel as though this is the rankers suggesting that they think that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten and ultimately knock Michigan out. And I, I think that's what they're trying to do. It feels like they're trying to get ahead of it with giving Clemson the slight edge over Michigan. I think that Michigan, given obviously they were in the college football playoff last year, a little bit of a legacy ranking I should I feel should be included in considering them. But maybe it's also accrediting Clemson. <laughs> you who say legacy had, ranking, man. Well, Clemson's been a five yeah, national just championships. About, just about to get years. into it. But <laughs> recent history, obviously, we look at last year's Clemson team, and they were an underwhelming team that had no business being in the college football playoff. I look at that Syracuse win over the past weekend, and I'm still not impressed by them. I still think that their offense kind of just underwhelms me a little bit. That I, I feel like there's something missing about this Clemson team. And whether it's Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence, clearly those are big pieces to be missing from this year's Clemson team. I just don't think that they have it in the same way that I think Michigan has it. I, like if we put all these teams together, obviously we w- we're looking forward to seeing these four teams match up. I think that Michigan is a better matchup for whoever is the number one team, even if it does turn into those blowouts. We always talk about in the first round of the college football <laughs> playoff. I think that Michigan this year is a better adversary then Clemson would be to either Tennessee or Georgia, whoever is the number one seed coming out of the SEC. See, this is the unique situation, right? Because we've either, in the last 10 years, Clemson has either been a team that runs the table with the season and wins the national championship, or at the very least is in the same category as Alabama and Ohio State. Where this is different is that Clemson's now a tier two program, which is Clemson's basically this year's Notre Dame. Clemson is this year's Oklahoma. Clemson is this year's uh, Cincinnati from last year. Although I think TCU is this year's Cincinnati, which is they're going to need some dumb shit to happen in order to get in. Yes, the Big 12 is as good as the AAC. I'm saying that. But basically, Clemson is this year's version of they're going to be 14 point underdogs when they get to the playoff and get smacked by either Ohio State or Georgia, most likely like that's We've never seen Clemson in this situation, or at least mm-hmm. not in the Dabo Swinney era. We haven't seen Clemson in that group yet. And uh, as long as they don't shit the bed the rest of the season, they will get the playoff and probably get in as the three seed. So Clemson goes undefeated. They still have precedent over TCU, you're saying? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. TCU goes undefeated and wins the conference. They can get left out. But Clemson goes undefeated and wins the conference. They're in no matter what. I would be a little bit disappointed in that just because I feel as though TCU... I like their offense a little bit more. I They have a puncher's chance, I think, in any game they get into. And I would be more entertained by seeing them in the college football playoff than I would be seeing this Clemson team <laughs> oh, in the college football playoff. Oh, Juju, the, the, the ghosts of UCF are coming out right now. How do you think I felt in 2016 when UCF didn't make the college football playoff, huh? They were undefeated. They were fun. They were awesome. No, we're not putting them in. TCU is UCF. The Big 12 is the AAC. Suck it. It's a tough break. We're not letting you in the playoff because we are we got to put Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia in the playoff. And you, TCU, get left out with an undefeated season. Really disappointing to Max Dugan and the things they're building out there with TCU. But yeah, no. either way, they're at six. So if some stuff breaks their way, Alabama's still lingering there around at six. We have TCU at seven. Uh, Oregon still at eight, USC just right behind them, LSU at 10, LSU a little bit resurgent, but they're pretty much out of the college football playoff, uh, USC, Oregon, there's some weirdness that can happen there in the Pac-12 because Oregon, here's the thing, their only loss at this point is to Georgia, Georgia, who, if they beat 
Tennessee and continue their undefeated season. There's no shame in losing to the Georgia Bulldogs in week one, right? Mm -hmm. So Oregon, in theory, went 11 and one, won their conference, only lost to Georgia, then they have a really good case too. So that could cause a little bit of a shakeup there in the rankings towards the tail end of the season. Well, so think about it this way. If Oregon is currently ranked eight right now, that means they need four teams to drop off above them. Now, easiest one you can think of, TCU. TCU loses, you know, easy one, Oregon can jump. Alabama. If Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, per se, or Tennessee, if they lose to one of those teams in the SEC championship game, you slide above Alabama. So then you need two results to come true. You need either... Oh, well, actually, you just need Ohio State and Michigan to have a final result <laughs> because then you would jump one of those teams theoretically. And then you just need one more weird thing to happen, which is Tennessee, Georgia, or Ohio State, or I guess whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan. You need Tennessee, Georgia, or Clemson to shit the bed, and then you can slide into the playoff. And that same thing applies for TCU. You need one of those teams to shit the bed, and then you have a path to the playoff. But if say, for example, Tennessee beats Georgia this week, then loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game, do Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia all make the playoff? Or do only two of them make the playoff? And then where does Clemson slide into this mix? It's an unfortunate situation that they find themselves in as we do this playoff evaluation, which is TCU and Oregon have had fantastic seasons, and they also need someone to mess up in order for them to have a path to the playoff because it looks like it's going to be two SEC teams, the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson making it to the playoff. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. So we have our first college football ranking and we get to see one verse three. We have the Tennessee Volunteers facing the Georgia Bulldogs. It is an eight-point spread. Tennessee getting the early nod. Like I said, they are number one currently in the college football playoff rankings. We talked about that in another video. But are you surprised by this Tennessee Volunteers team as we get into the point of the season where you have to acknowledge their elite team? They've earned where they are. They are great. They are great. And look, I still walked away from Alabama, Tennessee and said to myself, can't say that Tennessee's a better team than Alabama. Coming out of that game, Tennessee beat Alabama. I don't know if Tennessee's a better team than Alabama coming out of that game, but I think it's more of a semantics argument at that point. There are three really, really good teams in the SEC. There's really only four really, really good teams in college football this year, and three of them happen to be in the SEC. And Tennessee has been really, really interesting to watch this year. And I really hope that we're not headed for some sort of like letdown where they lose a dumb game to like South Carolina or something, but they've been incredibly, incredibly fun so far this season and have been one of the best teams. <laughs> I think they're putting to bed the something dumb opportunity because they had an opportunity to do something dumb against Kentucky and ended up putting up 49, 50 points on them this past weekend. They they didn't even give Kentucky a chance. I know that you're a big fan of Will Levis. Will Levis looked awful in that game. I, Tennessee, what they've been able to do with Josh Heupel, obviously lightning quick offense, what they their offense is, is just something special to behold. Um, and I think they're going to cause problems for this Georgia Bulldogs team. I, I look at this point spread, and I'm going to be honest, 
I'm a little bit surprised. I, I know it's a away game for them. I know they have to go into Athens and face the Bulldogs. The last year's defending national champion who are number three in the rankings. I look at these teams and think, okay, if they get into a shootout, if they get into what Tennessee wants to do, do I think Bennett can play up to the same type of level of what Hendon Hooker is doing this year? Hendon Hooker, by the way, who is now the odds on betting favorite for the Heisman Trophy this year. Hendon Hooker, who's just had that type of season. Every year we talk about like a guy that comes out of nowhere onto the scene that we're not talking about this really getting really in any NFL buzz. And Hendon Hooker is that guy this year. Hendon Hooker might have just played himself into being a high round draft pick. Shock no more. This this offense, I don't want to go too high in hyperbole here, but they have some 2019 LSU vibes on there. So there's one big if to the thing that you said. And you said, if they get into a shootout with this Georgia team, that's a big if. That if is doing a lot of work in that situation. Georgia's defense is not the same defense it was last year. You are correct. They are not the greatest defense in the history of college football. They are merely just one of the best defenses in the entire country. Because, look, I get it. Tennessee is the sexy thing. Tennessee is unexpected. Tennessee beat Alabama. They're number one in the rankings right now. And that's not to say that they can't win this game. I'm not, like, diminishing their accomplishments or their skill set. Evidence says they are a really, really good football team. Georgia is also a really, really good defense. And look, one of their first-round linebackers is going to be out for this game, which changes the math definitely in what we're talking about with the Georgia defense. Georgia's also one of those teams that can slide a five-star sophomore into that lineup to replace him. It will be a diminished product, of course, but Georgia still has created this factory of defensive players that is able to replace Nicobe Dean and replace Jordan Davis and replace Quay Walker and still put out a defense that up until I believe it was two weeks ago, I haven't checked the stats recently, but two weeks ago had the second best scoring defense in all of college football, only behind, I believe, the Iowa Hawkeyes for some weird reason. And Georgia has been uh, pretty good defensively this season. And my counter is you don't want to just be sliding people in to try and guard Jalen Hyatt this year or try and stop what Hendon Hooker's been doing. This is not the game where you just want to be sliding people in to try and stop these guys because these guys are going to play on Sundays too. What Mm -hmm. the Tennessee Volunteers have been able to do in not only the short passing game, but deep, if they could jump out to a quick lead, I just don't see how this Georgia offense can keep up. It's obviously an offense that's very driven by their tight ends. We talk about Bowers. Their wide receivers aren't as good as they were last year. Their running back situation, obviously not as good when the younger Cook went to the NFL and decided to struggle for Buffalo this year. They're they're not – I just don't think that they have the type of offense that can get into a shootout. I think Tennessee is going to force one because – As good as I think you're mentioning Georgia is, Tennessee has the way of just punching you in the mouth and taking away your game plan. This offense is so lightning quick that it just has a way of knocking you off what you want to do and making you have to adjust. So I'll be intrigued to see how Kirby Smart and that Georgia defense and that Georgia coaching staff is able to counterplay because this is going to be a chess match. No matter what you do, this Tennessee Volunteers team is still putting up 30. I mean, that's what they did against Bama, right? They came out, hit you in the mouth real quickly, and then kind of gave it away later. And they tried to give away that game. You're right. They tried to give away that game. But I think 
The difference is Alabama with Bryce Young has the offense that can come back in that game and make that game interesting. Georgia doesn't. So let's talk about that Georgia offense a little bit because you're right. It's a lot of no-name guys. It's uh, it's obviously Stetson Bennett of Stetson Bennett, Kia, Chevrolet, Hyundai, and uh, Mitsubishi Motorships of the local Athens area. Yeah, we still have that Stetson Bennett. They've got Lad McConkey as their number one receiver, which Lad McConkey sounds like what old people call when so, call uh the, their alternative name for getting hit in the junk. You know, someone someone on the broadcast got hit in the Lad McConkeys. And then they have Brock Bowers, who's the superhuman who juggles footballs and makes giant catches as a 6'8 guy who was born in 2003. Brock Bowers was born in 2003 for people keeping track at home. This is an incredibly... This is an incredibly slow-moving Georgia team this year. I say slow-moving in that their preferred style of football is dominating possession and giving their defense time to hold the ball... That's what they tried to do against Florida. When they're playing teams like South Carolina and Vanderbilt, they can just put up points because they're playing inferior competition. Yeah. But against a team like Tennessee, their preferred style is let's keep Hendon Hooker off the field as much as possible. And that's going to be a lot of bubble screens and a lot of design plays to probably Lad McConkey, I would guess. See, what I'm intrigued by, you know, we talk, we could talk about games too in which uh, these teams have respectfully struggled. Missouri kind of gave a little bit of a, issue to Georgia. Missouri was able to generate a pass rush and cause issues for the Georgia offense. I kind of feel like Tennessee could do a similar type thing heading into this game. And if they're able to knock that Georgia offense off rhythm, because if you are going to rely on, as you mentioned, the short passing game, the screen game, then that means that you're going to be a very rhythm based offense. If you knock that type of offense off rhythm, if they could just force like one, three and out or just a couple drives in which they have to punt. We again, we know how good their offense is that they can just be able to put a, up a quick 10 point advantage on this Georgia team. That's where I think that they're going to shine. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that that's exactly where Tennessee wants to spend this game. And I think Tennessee has the offensive firepower to uh, push back against the Georgia defense a little bit. And Georgia, I don't know what their counter is going to be offensively. Now, I think the best offense for Georgia is defense, and that's kind of been their strategy for three, four, five years at this point when they chose Jake Fromm over Justin Fields and chose Stetson Bennett the last three years to be their quarterback. Like, yeah, they they have a couple NFL guys on that team. Brock Bowers is going to be a first-round pick, and he's the best player on that team. Uh, McIntosh, the running back, is going to be... Uh, not necessarily a, a future NFL, but he's a he's an NFL player. He's going to get drafted at some point at running back. So it, it's not like they lost James Cook and now they just have an inability to run the football. They just do it with a blend between McIntosh and you see more of Edwards. I think Edwards actually had 100 yards last week. I I was watching some younger a bit guys. of that game. Some younger yeah. guys. This is probably be the most meaningful game that a lot of those freshmen played. First year players. Yeah, they've been in the program for a couple of years or they've transferred from other places, but they're, this is the first big game Georgia has played. And I think the Missouri game is the only thing we can lean on because it's the only memorable game Georgia has really played. Like you could stretch all the way back to week one when they played Oregon. I personally think 
evaluating week one and week two results in college football is a futile effort because of how much the teams change. But Georgia's just played a bunch of easy games, whether it's Auburn or Florida or whether it's uh, South Carolina, who they beat by 41 or Vanderbilt, who obviously they're going to beat the shit out of them because they're an FCS team like Georgia hasn't played anyone. So I think it's not that they you play who you play and the schedule is what it is. We know Georgia's totally overwhelming this year. It's just the one Missouri game gave us pause because it's the closest thing we've seen to Georgia being vulnerable in two it's, years. It's that old thing about iron sharpening iron. And I, I feel when I look at this Tennessee team, obviously you could look at their schedule and pick apart wins against a Tennessee Martin, right? Same as any, <laughs> but what they were able to do to an LSU just, Again, crushing them 40 to 13. And then what they were able to do against Kentucky with the 44 to 6 victory. Alabama, if they didn't give away those late fumbles, I guess you go back to the early part of their season. Sure, the Pittsburgh victory wasn't that all that impressive. You skirt by Florida. But for the most part, I, I feel as though there is sure a thing as you can guarantee to 30 points in a ball game. I would love for this Tennessee team to be at home for me to have full <laughs> confidence. But I'm still going to pick them nonetheless. Tennessee, lock it in. That's going to be my pick for the weekend. They've earned my respect, and I'm going to give it to them. That's a good That's a good choice. I like that you're going out on a limb and taking the number one team in the country. Oh, yeah, somehow... you know, big-time cojones there. Yeah, big-time cojones to take the number one team in the country who's somehow an eight-point underdog. This is a This is a no-confidence play for me, but 75% of the bets are on Tennessee. It's a plus eight line. So all of the information and data from Vegas is saying to pick Georgia, but I don't know why I'm picking Georgia other than a bunch of guys on defense who I know are going to get drafted in the NFL, but they're names that I don't know because I haven't been watching a lot of Georgia football this year. So I think I'm going to go Georgia, but I don't know why I'm picking Georgia other than respecting that other people have better information than I when they set an eight point spread because Tennessee's fun, Tennessee's exciting, and Georgia is also the closest thing we have to like 2012 Alabama. And if Hedden and Hooker comes out and throws three interceptions, I'd be like, well, Georgia, Georgia's defense is pretty good, right? So I'm taking Georgia, but I don't know why I'm taking Georgia. Are we getting 2012 Alabama versus 2019 LSU? Well, 2019 LSU, that's not fair to that. Let's let's call Tennessee like 2015 Oregon. Let's call them the Mariota Oregon team. That's that's the know. nicest thing I feel thing like they're better say. than that. That team went to the national championship game. Like Tennessee know, might not make the playoff. I Well, I think they'll make the playoff. I, I think that win versus Alabama will be very impactful towards the end. But we talked about this on a previous video, which you can check out if you subscribe to the Slump Buster YouTube channel, which is if Tennessee loses this game and if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, there's almost no space for Tennessee. Who who are we going to kick out? Undefeated Clemson? I would personally be okay with that, but I just feel like that's going to be difficult. It's tough. <laughs> I, I... It's I guess tough. we'll see, but all right, you're going with Georgia, last year's defending national champions. I'm going with Tennessee, our 2023 future champions. Let's lock it down in the books. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. Was it a mechanical issue? Was it the road environment? There was talks of wind. Either way, you're getting outplayed. So I don't know if there was a 
definable excuse for how Quinn Ewers played in that game. The bigger, broader issue is, I think, with Coach Sarkeesian. Tom Herman coached 50 games for Texas and had four losses after leading at the half. Sark has coached 20 games for Texas so far, and already has six losses after leading at the half. This is the thing that we saw last year. They were unable to put teams away when they jumped out in front. To not have that killer instinct, to not be able to change things offensively, to be able to keep putting like that pressure on other teams, and then knowing when your game plan isn't working and being able to audible. That's the thing that kills me about Coach Sark. Being so rigid in your game planning, being so sure that your scheme is so much better than everybody else's, you're so much smarter <laughs> than everybody else that you can't adjust. Because a guy like Mike Gundy, we think of him as a rigid coach, but his teams adjust. They see what's not working, what is working, and they make those moves you, you talked about like the will routes the untouched stuff the sloppy stuff that they had in the first half they largely corrected that in the second half we didn't see any of those big plays we saw them jumping on the Texas running game we saw them putting pressure on Quinn making him a little bit uncomfortable and he's a guy that's already struggling already probably unsure about himself confidence wise tough road environment being in Stillwater Gundy and them just found something that worked and they were able to audible mid-game the fact that you can go into halftime and not be able to make those adjustments, I think is something that I don't think Sark can really correct. This is who he is. I, I think this is who coach Steve Sarkeesian is at his core. This is and also why he got fired by the Falcons. This is this exact thing you're talking about is why after two years, the Falcons got rid of him as offensive coordinator. We, we've seen this consistently that in another conversation for me to have too, as a Niners fan, you know, guys like Kyle Shanahan, guys like, Steve Sarkeesian, guys who have been dubbed offensive geniuses, they are so sure of their shit. Their shit is so much better than everybody else's that when it's time to change things up, they can't. They just can't. Because Bijan, again, you talk about how good he was in the first half. We did not see that Bijan in the second half. Ewers, manageable, but not great in the first half. Terrible in the second half. He did nothing, I feel, to help those guys. The scheme guys like open, short stuff. Allow Quinn to just throw three easy balls, you know? Just three intermediate routes, just kind of like get his flow going, get a little bit more confidence back and whatever he's working through. But no, Sark clearly said, this is the game plan we design. We are sticking with it. And I, I think that that's my biggest concern, not only for now, not only for this season, because again, Oklahoma State, no shame in losing to the number 11 team in the country. But I'm seeing these bad habits form. This habitual attitude of not being able to make adjustments, of not being able to put teams away, to gain complacent in games that it, I, I think is matriculating throughout the roster. It's going to matriculate into newer recruits. And I don't care how talented of a roster you can build because Texas is more talented than every team they will play the rest of the season, and they're more talented than every team aside from Alabama that they played this season. So there's really no excuse from a talent perspective. At this point, it's all between the ears. It literally is all between the ears for the Longhorns. And that's the thing that I, I think is just going to be the stain on Sark's legacy and his ability to stay in Austin. Aside from the contract he signed, <laughs> that's the only thing tying to Austin, the fact that the Longhorns probably don't want to pay another buyout. And we've talked about that before. And they he's going to win just enough games to keep his job. But Just said, enough. Yeah. Just enough. But I think you hired the wrong guy. And I, I think last season was a big red flag. 
I think this is a bigger red flag. Uh, these games that you should have won because two road games, Stillwater, another road loss, <laughs> Lubbock, a road loss. They got fortunate in the early part of the season. They just had a lot of home games stacked up, and now you're going to be on the road in the latter part of the season. They need to show they can win on the road. If you can't win on the road, you can't hold leads. You make poor adjustments. You There's no way in hell you're going to get to the college football playoffs. There's no way in hell you're going to win in the SEC. College not, football playoff? I, what you talking about? <laughs> no, literally. What am I talking about? College football playoff. But you would think that one of the largest athletic budgets in the country – would set that standard for themselves, but it seems like such a far cry of expectations based off what I've seen, based off what I've seen from this coaching staff in particular. Eight and four was the goal at the preseason. It's not out of the water. It just means that you have to beat either K State or Baylor. This goes beyond the win and loss record. This goes into a mentality. This goes into how this team is coached. When you play those bigger schools, when you have the opportunity to play for meaningful football games, right? If you can't hold a lead, if you can't hold your water when it matters most, there's no way you can win the conference. There's no way you could even win your division. So you're saying if you can't hold your water in this situations, would that make it still water? I hate you. I, I really hate you right now. That's I mean, technically, God speaking speaking of Stillwater, remember I said in the game preview that Oklahoma State is now a running team at this point because they used to have Mason Rudolph and they were like, we have Mason Rudolph, let's just fling the ball all over the place. And then they got Chuba Hubbard and they were like, we're going to be a running team now. And they Spencer Sanders is not great. Y'all, they ran 98 plays. They ran 98 plays in that game, which I I couldn't believe that when I saw the number at the end of the game. I've never seen anyone run 98 plays. because I was like, huh, that's weird. Spencer Sanders threw 57 passes. I guess that means they were kind of desperate. No, they also ran the ball 31 times. <laughs> like, it, it was ridiculous. You actually got a little bit of pushback on that had. one. A lot of Oklahoma State fans disagreed with you that they were a running team. Look, I'm not going to say I've watched a ton of Oklahoma State football this year. The numbers that I did when I was researching the game suggest that Oklahoma State is a running team. I know Spencer Sanders is not a great quarterback. That, I've been watching college football for four years. I know Spencer Sanders is not a great quarterback. And so (laughs) Oklahoma State's kind of in this weird in-between space where they would prefer their identity to be running the football because letting Spencer Sanders throw the ball doesn't look good at all. So Oklahoma State... He looked better than Quinn's. look better than oh, Quinn of out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's of what course, mattered. but Quinn Ewers had a bad football game and Oklahoma State still put up 41 points, which I know, again, I just said they ran 98 plays, which is stupid. Any team that runs the ball 30 times and records 170 rushing yards, that team wants to be a running team. That Any team that puts up that kind of numbers wants to be a running football team. And I know I they threw the ball 57 times. It's more of an 40 rushes they they called 40 rushes in the game that is incredible because i was just doing versus I, the 57 versus sanders and they also had a, another trick play throw in there as well see i was i was doing the math because they had like i assume there was like sacks and stuff mixed in like i was just kind of guessing if they threw it 58 times and there were plays that didn't have a run or a pass but just ballparking it they i know they had uh i believe they had a hundred and forty rushing yards you said that was the number on the yeah. game for them 142 yeah. was the final tally 40 rushes and they weren't that efficient with their rushes necessarily like overall the the biggest things i would just say is just the missed opportunity i go back to the week before for texas too these mental lapses 
just drive me crazy. The fact that you can have a guy in the Iowa State game that has 10 receptions already, has just been dogging you all day, and you leave him wide open, and by the grace of God, he drops the ball. And then I look at this Oklahoma State game, and you're hanging on. You still have a chance to win this game. It's a possession. You know, you just need to play like a football player. You just need to make football moves in the game. And the most basic thing, the most basic concept, make a tackle. Was <laughs> That's a big so part of it, So foreign too. to them in the that final That was the other stat possession. I was going to throw out. 32 first downs for Oklahoma State in the game. 32 first downs. Well, I'll throw down a better stat. Zero penalties. Zero penalties for Oklahoma State. How undisciplined is this team? They don't tackle. They're undisciplined. They don't make adjustments. They can't hold leads. That is a systematic problem for a football team. That is something that you just can't uh, just wave a magic wand, coach around, scheme around, game plan around. That is a legitimate thing that you almost need to have a sports psychologist talk with you yeah. and try and figure out because but isn't that why I, at the why can't you get it done isn't that why at the start of the year though we assumed oklahoma state would beat texas like we chalked that up as like this is a game they probably lose on the schedule like oklahoma state's not recruiting at the same level as texas they're not having the same success in the transfer portal and at the same time we just looked at it and we're like yeah oklahoma state was half a yard from being the team that could cry about not making the college football playoff last year and this year if they don't lose to tcu there's a chance they end up getting i mean not again getting the fifth or sixth spot in the playoff but they're going to be a new year's six team this year and probably play for the big 12 championship again so i think that's part of why oklahoma state i mean i know they were six point favorites and that was a little confusing but that's why we chalk up oklahoma state to be a team that should beat texas even given the state of the program and the players that texas is bringing in yeah i think that this is the type of week that just kind of makes you do a reevaluation of the whole program the five and three record is arbitrary when you have bigger issues, bigger picture issues like this Longhorns team has. And I I think that that should be a talking point the rest of the season, the rest of this week. The coaches have to legitimately sit down and look in the mirror after this one and ask themselves, why is this happening? What am I doing wrong? Sark, again, talking to you directly, you have to ask yourself, what are you doing wrong? Look at a guy like Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh a couple of years ago looked at himself in the mirror reevaluate the state of the program and ask himself why Michigan wasn't getting it done. And you know what they do? They hire someone from the Baltimore Ravens coaching staff and he comes in and makes a world of difference for that team. What's that one checkmate move that the Texas Longhorns are missing? And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. So it's been a week of self-reflection for the University of Texas as they had the bye week to think about that embarrassing road loss in Stillwater to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, the same Oklahoma State team that just got crushed over this past weekend uh, by Kansas State, actually. So now Texas gets their opportunity. They're going into Bill Snyder Stadium to take on this Kansas State Wildcats with a dynamic running game. We know what they're going to bring you. Adrian Martinez has been a little bit of a reclamation project coming from Nebraska. But this week, I'm going to pinpoint all eyes are going to be on Steve Sarkeesian. We, we talked about it in another video, kind of what Sark's shortcomings are or have been as the head coach of the Texas Longhorns. Like how often can you afford to just keep losing these games in which you have a lead in? 
and which your team is set up to win. And then you just blow it late. Like that just becomes a problem over time when you've already outpaced the previous head coach that no one liked, but actually won a bunch of games in just less than two years and leads blown. That's what Steve Sarkeesian's resume is starting to accumulate a bunch of. So now you're going in a slight favorite on the road, two and a half, same things we say every week with Texas. You're the more talented team, Kansas State. They've been a surprise team this year. They've been a good story this year, but you should have enough horses to beat them and add in, you've had two weeks to think about this and game plan for this one. Give me reasons why I should be down on Texas this week, Kyle. Oh, you want me to be pessimistic about Texas? Ooh, I like yeah, this. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's fair. I, I think we're too rosy sometimes. They get a big victory and everyone, for lack of better terms, sucks their dick. And then we go into the next week and think, oh, everything's going to be hunky-dory. And same spot, we have another disappointing loss. So I think it's good to have a little pessimism every once in a while. All right, so let's talk about why Deuce Vaughn is going to rush for 240 yards against Texas this week. All right. In actuality, I think the most Big 12 shit would be if Deuce Vaughn is like nine carries for 30 yards because fuck it, that's the Big 12 this year. He just put up 200 yards against Oklahoma State last week. Who cares? Now he's going to go for 30 yards because that's what the Big 12 is and Texas is going to look like the team that shut out Alabama for two and a half quarters. You mentioned Adrian Martinez. We don't know exactly if Adrian Martinez is going to play or not. He missed last week's game uh will howard is the backup quarterback for kansas state and he played pretty good against oklahoma state given that they won 48 to 0 so we don't actually know exactly who the quarterback is going to be for kansas state i don't think it changes the game plan much it's not like adrian martinez is this wow quarterback that changes the game basically kansas state's recipe for success has been hiding adrian martinez in the game plan and while he's rebounded nicely He doesn't cost them games like he would cost them games in Nebraska. He's not the focal point of the offense anymore, and that's been the best thing for his college career. Limited his ability to ever turn into any kind of NFL prospect, but that's how Adrian Martinez is where he is right now. Nebraska was the reason he was never going to go to the NFL. Nebraska already did that (laughs) job for him. Yeah, Nebraska knocked him into, at best, one of those undrafted free agent quarterbacks that just kind of bounces around still has a little bit of recognition because of their high school prospect status. But yeah, Adrian Martinez has such a unique road to where (laughs) he is now. While we're talking about him, can I read? It's one of my favorite Wikipedia profiles ever is Adrian Martinez, which is this is the entire byline of his of his title. It's three sentences on his Wikipedia page. It is Adrian Martinez is an American football quarterback for the Kansas State Wildcats. He previously played for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He is not related to former Nebraska quarterback Taylor Martinez. That's his entire byline. They had to point out, hey, this guy who we all think is the same quarterback who was playing at Nebraska in 2014. It's not him, but Nebraska had a Martinez at quarterback for seven consecutive seasons. And every season they were either six and six or did not make a bowl game. They had to specifically put in his Wikipedia title. He is not related to the other Nebraska quarterback that you think he is. It's kind of funny when you consider that he was almost the quarterback at Tennessee before ultimately committing to Scott Frost in Nebraska. And now we look at what Tennessee is this year. Would have been a long road to get there, given Tennessee had their own issues as well to getting to where they are now. But 
I was going to say, if you look at Hendon Hooker's Virginia Tech stats, they don't look that dissimilar to to Adrian Martinez's (laughs) Nebraska stats. There's a lot of things that shook up what Adrian Martinez uh, was at Nebraska and never really developing into. Again, he, he was a highly recruited guy coming out of high school. He was a desirable prospect. Now, as I mentioned, what they've been able to do at Kansas is hide him and hide him behind this prolific running game. Deuce Vaughn is the type of running back that gives Texas nightmares, especially when we go back to the Oklahoma State game, tackling. I've been saying this for Sark's entire time. Learn to tackle, wrap up, get people to the ground. Don't let these second, third, fourth, fifth efforts. Tackling 101 went awry in that Oklahoma State game, and one of the bigger reasons why they lost towards the end. I'm looking at this where you have a run game like Kansas State is bringing in, you have to get him in the backfield. You have to get him on the first opportunities because if you don't, that's when we start getting into these game scripts that become harder and harder to work around. And this is going to be a big week, obviously, for Quinn Ewers because he was awful against Oklahoma State. Awful, terrible. He was inaccurate. He couldn't hit water if he jumped off a boat in the middle of the ocean. What was it, 19 for 50 or something like that, including the three interceptions? Quinn needs a bounce back effort, and that's going to be on coaching. Whatever was going wrong, it's up to Steve Sarkeesian. Again, with two weeks of time, Andy Reid always comes back off a bye week and has a game plan. <laughs> Steve, yeah, two weeks to figure this out with Bijan, Xavier Worthy, and a five-star quarterback in Quinn Ewers. Get it done. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite stat about Kansas State that I found in researching for this preview? Kansas State has played eight football games this season so far. Uh, one of those games they played against Tulane. Shout out to the Green Wave. And they actually lost to Tulane in that game. But Tulane is also, I think, the highest ranked group of five team right now. Technically, I think TCU is a group of five team. But Tulane is the highest ranked group of five team currently right now. So... Kansas State in their other seven games has had four games in which they allowed under 275 yards of offense and three games in which they allowed over 500 yards of offense. So I don't know how to evaluate Kansas State's defense going into this game against Ewers and Bijan and Xavier Worthy because three times they've gotten absolutely torched by like Texas Tech and Oklahoma, which are not the greatest football teams in the world this year. But they also held Oklahoma State and Missouri to under 250 yards of offense. So I don't know. Let's see what happens. (laughs) If I'm the coaching staff, I am just showing them the tape of what they were doing to Gundy's kid out there as his hands were shaking, preparing for the snap to come to him. You have to prepare as if that defense is showing up and just be happy if you get the defense that was allowing, as you mentioned, over 500 yards a game. You have the offense, you have the offensive pieces to put up over 500 yards a game. That should not be the issue of this Texas Longhorn team. The issue is going to always boil down to defense for me. They've shown times in which it seems like they're improving. In many ways, Texas is very similar to what you're saying about Kansas State, where they can have the game, as you mentioned, against Alabama, where they're holding that offense. They're holding the former Heisman Trophy winner to a subpar outing, having more penalty yards than actual yards at one point. But they can also have games against Texas Tech where they allow over 30 or they allow over 30 to Oklahoma State in a comeback effort or they're allowing Iowa State and their quarterback to hang around. That's the type of thing that we need answers for from this team. What is the resolve? And they're still on pace to do what we said in the preseason. They're still on pace to get that at least eight wins, show that positive growth. 
but you had a wrench thrown in your plans by Kansas State actually being good this year with Kansas being a team that could beat you, you know, TCU being really TCU. good this year. You have teams that you didn't plan on being good that are good now. So they're going to make the roadmap a little bit harder for Texas as they try and close out the season. Obviously, horns up. I'm still planning on them winning this game. Don't let me down, guys. <laughs> you said that Texas and Kansas State are similar to each other and that they have those uh, those big weeks and those like uh, games where they kind of lay flat. That's just the entire Big 12 this year, man. Yeah. The entire Big 12 is just like chaos and stupid. It's why I said at the start, like if Deuce Vaughn goes for 20 carries for 46 yards and zero touchdowns, like, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Dumber shit has happened in the Big 12 this year. Dumber shit happened last week with Kansas State and Oklahoma State. So I don't know. Dumb shit happens all the time texas would have to go three and one the rest of the way to get to eight and four i think they're going to finish seven and five at this point which is not a disappointment it's just not reaching the super awesome expectations will be a disappointment will be a disappointment no way around it okay will be a disappointment so if they're going to get to eight and four they have to win this one because tcu they're going to be underdogs in that game baylor's no walk in the park they'll probably beat kansas but still they probably got to win this game for the first time i'm going to go with texas I mean, I've picked Texas before in like the blowout games, but in one of these coin toss games, I'm going to roll with Texas this week. 